A Duff Said is brought to you by Sheldon Street Pizza. Visit them online at sheldonstreetpizza.com or stop by Sheldon's during your next trip to Lake Orion. Sheldon Street Pizza, the official pizza of A Duff Said. And by Fourth Coast Cider Works, quality craftsmanship, quality hard cider. You can check them out online at fourthcoastciderworks.com or come get a can or a howler at their Canterbury Village location. Not available for anyone under the age of 21. Please drink responsibly. You're listening to the best local sports podcast in Michigan, and that's a Duff said. Thank you, Sam Ali. Now, if you don't know Sam Ali, he is the hardest working man covering sports in mid-Michigan. You can catch him doing his nightly sports reports on Mid-Michigan Now. But let's talk now about the world stage. The Super Bowl just took place this past weekend in Arizona. Pretty exciting game between the Chiefs and Eagles. And as we all know, Kansas City left the desert as world champions. Now hosting a major sporting event like the Super Bowl can be a huge economic boost for a city. It can really put a town on the map. In 1982, Pontiac, Michigan got its time to shine when Super Bowl 16 was played in the Silver Dome. In this week's segment of Lessons from Coach Watkins, Steve and I talked about what hosting the big game meant to the city of Pontiac. We also get into why it never came back. Now get this, Steve had tickets to that game, but he wound up selling them. Wait until you hear who he sold those tickets to. This week's segment of Lessons from Coach Watkins starts now. Steve, the year was 1982 and the Super Bowl was coming to your hometown. The Super Bowl wasn't played in Detroit that year. It was played in Pontiac. How did you react to the news that your hometown was getting the Super Bowl? It was, uh, as I recall, Duff, a very exciting time for the city of Pontiac just as well, because as you just said, it was not, you know, Pontiac is not viewed as a major capital city, you know. And at the time, I remember the excitement around, the buzz around it. You know, of course, the Detroit, the hometown team wasn't doing very well. And uh, it gave the uh, rest of the nation a chance to come and see what Pontiac was all about. The pomp, the circumstance, the parades, the parties, all that goes into that week. You know, it was an exciting time. What was it like for you to see the eyes of the world on Pontiac? Well, as I said, it was just an exciting time to give them a view of what the inner city was all about. Our stadium at that time was state-of-the-art. So, you know, it gave a chance for that to shine. It gave a chance for the city to put its best foot forward. Uh, Black, white, you know, Hispanic, the whole town, you know. And uh, I think that at that time, everybody just kind of came together and they made it work, you know. What were you most looking forward to? Just the excitement and the pomp and circumstances of the week, you know. Uh, because you got a lot of celebrities come in town, you know, and I said again, it's a time for your city or your state to shine, you know. And uh, Pontiac never being put on that stage, grand stage, you know, it was a chance for us to just put our best foot forward. And I remember as a young man growing up, 
you know, just the pomp and circumstances of going around it. Now, what they did was is the uh, season ticket holders at this time of the Detroit Lions. You know, there is a lottery that goes on in every stadium that uh, fans get an opportunity to get tickets and go to the actual game, the Super Bowl. And what the Lions did was they had a lottery for season ticket holders. And I just happened to be one of the winners. So you had tickets to the game, and we'll get to that in a second. But in terms of Pontiac itself, what grade would you give Pontiac as a host city for the Super Bowl that year? Well, that year, as I said, I gave them 100% because, I mean, they what they did downtown in the city of Pontiac was they turned it in what they call Bourbon Street North. And what they did was, man, it was parties every day, every all day long, all into the evening. I mean, bars, uh, several pop-up bars and different things, entertainment, uh, jazz bands, rock bands, R&B bands. I mean, and it was a culmination of watching cultures come together. And I mean, and, and not to mention, the thing that sticks out most in my mind was the weather. Duff, I think it was the coldest I've ever seen in this city since I've lived here. Temperatures that week hovered around below zero every single day, but you it was elbow to elbow downtown. It didn't stop anybody from coming out. There was a lot of excitement, and it must have been something really awesome to see all of that happening in Pontiac, a city that nowadays doesn't get anywhere near that kind of turnout for really anything anymore, and that's really unfortunate. It, it certainly is. As I said, it was it was a time when we thought the city was on the uprise, on the upswing. My dad served as a city commissioner at that time, which also the plans and the dreams that they had for the city of Pontiac, that was going to be the springboard. I think that was one of the things that helped them bring the Super Bowl actually to Pontiac because they were going to use that as to put the world, basically I, on Pontiac, and see what we could do going forward. So what happened? Well, I think again, right after that, I think businesses collapsed. The city kind of went in a downturn direction. I remember even the Silverdome. A lot of the improvements that were supposed to be made, there was a big argument between the Lions organization, the city of Pontiac, General Motors, and certain things that had, they were big players at that time and who were going to be responsible kind of for the regrowth of the city. Let's talk a little bit now about the matchup that took place for that Super Bowl. It was the 49ers versus the Bengals. This was the first Super Bowl for Joe Montana and the San Francisco 49ers. His first time on the big stage. What do you remember about that matchup? Well, the, one of the funniest things I do remember about that is is one of the games leading up to Joe Montana's first uh, Super Bowl was a victory that they basically beat the Detroit Lions. And they beat the Detroit Lions in San Francisco on a missed, if I, my memory serves me correctly, a missed Earl Man field goal. And uh, in the last waning seconds of the game, had the Lions won that game, who knows where Joe Montana's uh, history would have been. 
you know. Well, of course, you also had the catch, too, that yes, happened yes. to get them in there. Mm -hmm. Yes, that was the week following. So, again, as I said, his his kind of his legacy kind of took off, and it was kind of funny and uh, apropos that it was, came against the Lions. And then, as you said, the catch the following week. Joe Montana's lived in infamy ever since. He was basically bigger than, than, than I could ever imagine. What do you remember about the Bengals coming into that matchup? Because I don't remember a single player other than Kenny Anderson that played mm -hmm. for that team. Oh, yeah, Chris Collinsworth, who's a spotter. Icky Woods, he was a big running back at that time. Okay, he had three. The Icky Shuffle, and I mean, uh, oh, God, uh, who was the uh, center? Uh, oh, God, I can't remember his name, but he went on to be a sportscaster as well. M I think you're talking about Anthony Munoz. Munoz, the yes. They had a heck of an organization, a heck of a lineup, you know. And, uh, boy, again, you go back to that time, the coldest game in history was their playoff victory that sent them to the Super Bowl at home in Cincinnati. I forget who it was against, but it was like 40, was below, ze 40 below zero at game time. And uh, as you said, I remember those temperatures very well because it, it seemed like they brought that temperature to Pontiac because it was 20 below zero every day that week leading up to the Super Bowl. Okay, Steve, you got me. Uh, apparently, I did remember other members of that <laughs> Bengals team. I, I guess I just kind of put them out of my mind because really all that anybody really remembers from that Super Bowl, it was the first of four mm -hmm. won by the Niners who had that great dynasty in the 80s with Bill Walsh. Absolutely. What did you find most intriguing about that matchup between the Niners and the Bengals? Well, I actually thought at the time Kenny Anderson and the rest of the Cincinnati Bengals, I thought they had the better football team. And uh, as it went going into that game, I remember it very well. The 49ers, I thought, were in awe of being at the, the, the Super Bowl. The Cincinnati Bengals, I think, felt like they were much better prepared. Uh, their well-known coach at that time, I thought he did an awesome job in coaching them. And Bill Walsh at that time was really an anonymity at the time. He was not well known. And a lot of the players, I mean, if you go on and speak about their dynasty, oh, my gosh, I think that's what, that San Francisco 49ers team, probably 90% of that team is either in the Hall of Fame or on their way to the Hall of Fame. So, you know, that's the way history, it, it bounces. One game could turn a guy's career on its heels, you know. It turned out to be a great game, that Super it Bowl. Did. And Steve, you had tickets to that game. <laughs> you practically won the lottery with the Lions to get tickets to that game, but you sold those tickets. You decided to pass them on to somebody else, but not just anybody. Who did you end up selling those tickets to? Well, I'll tell you a short story leading up to that. Uh, I was so elated about getting those tickets to the Super Bowl. I uh, was talking to... Uh, a, a aunt of mine who happened to serve also on the school board for the city of Pontiac. And a good friend of hers, named, a fellow by the name of Alex Shorter, a former Cleveland Brown himself, played professional football. And uh, he contacted me and he said, hey, would you be interested in selling your tickets? And I thought, I never thought about it at the time. And uh, my dad at the time had passed away. And had, I, had he been living, I probably would have went to the Super Bowl. 
I decided to sell the tickets, and because it, the temperatures were so cold, I decided I'll stay home and watch the game. Even in the dome? Even in the dome. I decided to stay home and watch beyond the 50-yard line. But as it turns out, Alex Shorter gets in contact with me and says, ask me what I like to sell my tickets. Duff, I think the tickets at that time, we had to buy them. Of course, when you won the lottery, I think I paid like 75 bucks a ticket for each ticket. And uh, he said, I got a fellow that I think would be interested in buying those tickets from you for about 400 bucks. And I thought, $400 for these? Oh, why not? $400? Sure. As, as it turns out, he said, okay, I'll call you back, give you the information, where you're going to meet, so forth and so on. He calls me back later that night and says, I want you to go to the Hilton Hotel. And basically, you go up to room, I think it was 313. Uh, and basically, you're going to, gentleman, he's going to have your money ready for you. You exchange the tickets. I had no idea who the buyer was. To my chagrin, I get up, I go to the hotel, walk right in, go upstairs. I mean, it was a plethora of people, and there was a parties going on everywhere in the hotel. I go upstairs, I knock on the door, gentleman comes to the door, opens the door, and my mouth dropped open. My childhood hero, Jim Brown, former running back, Hall of Famer of the Cleveland Browns, is the guy that I was selling my tickets to. I mean, I, he was talking to me, and I was literally speechless. I stood there maybe five or ten minutes before I responded to what he was saying to me. I was that blown away. How many people not only get to meet their hero, but exchange tickets with their hero? I mean, I, you can imagine, as I said, I'm 20-something years old, and I'm selling my tickets to my childhood hero. You know, I probably would have gave him the tickets, you know. But it was such a nice meeting. I, he asked me in. We talked for several minutes. I ended up getting his autograph. He basically said... Uh, He's on some committee or something in his hometown of Cleveland at that time. You know, the team that he played for, I should say. And he said, anytime you're in the area, he said, gave me his number. He said, give me a call and I'll get you tickets to the games. Any game you want to go to. I was blown away by that. Did you take him up on that? I certainly did. I took a friend of mine, a couple of mine, my younger brothers. We went to several Cleveland Brown football games on Jim Brown. Did that mean more to you than actually going to the game itself? Well, you know what? It honestly did. As I said, you, you said it best yourself. You ever get a chance to meet somebody in terms of a real-life hero, it's life-changing. I mean, to me, it was just, at that time, heroes were somebody you looked up to. So for to get a chance to actually meet one, speak with one, talk with one, basically visit with one, and then take him up on his offers. Duff, I can tell you that was mind-blowing to me. I've always heard it tell, told just the opposite. You don't want to meet your heroes because you're in for a big disappointment when you find out what they're really like. But for you, that was a good experience. You got a chance to meet your childhood idol, and you got to experience several more games with that. So, I mean, you more or less got way more than just the price of one ticket that day. Exactly. I mean, I, I couldn't say it better. You know, again, two tickets, I, I gave them away. 
basically he saw he bought them he took them and as i said it my childhood hero turned out to be a lifelong friend after that you know and all it took was the super bowl coming to the silver dome to make that happen but that was the one and only time that the Silver Dome hosted the Super Bowl. And I know that we've kind of touched on why it never came back. And we touched on some of the aspects of that. Do you feel that maybe there were certain aspects that kind of turned the NFL off to coming back? I certainly do. And one of them, I think, again, was the size, the venue, the size of the venue. The city of Pontiac is a uh, blue-collar town. It's not your ritzy you know, it's not Chicago, it's not Los Angeles, it's not, you know, the Bay Area. It's, it's a small blue-collar town that just happened to host a National Football League team. So when I think the NFL came here, one of the things that was really came out after the Super Bowl was we only had three hotels in town. That was it. You know, not like, say, the city of Detroit where you got maybe 20 you know, where you could actually take in the crowds. What was found out, they did a study afterwards. And what was found out is that a lot of the dollars that normally accompany a, a venue that size were going to outside communities. Troy, Bloomfield, uh, Detroit, you know, uh, Southfield. It was found we didn't have the, the entertainment, we didn't have the... Uh, uh, the business, that, you know, that would attract crowds of that magnitude to our city. The Super Bowl has come back to Detroit, Metro Detroit, that is. It actually was in downtown in 2006 at Ford Field. And as it turns out, Steve, I know you appreciate this because you're a Lions fan. Yeah. That is the only NFL playoff game that Ford Field has ever hosted. And we all know the Lions were not in that game. It was Pittsburgh and Seattle. How did uh, having that game in downtown Detroit at Ford Field compared to having it in Pontiac about a little more than 20 years later? Well, I tell you, there were certain things that, that, that we benefited from by them actually coming to Detroit. Once again, I think the city of Detroit, they were much better prepared when the, when the Super Bowl came here. Once again, the uh, city of Detroit was on the uptick at that time. Hotels were booming, businesses were booming. And I mean, they, it, it, to events that are going on even to this day, down at campus marshes and so forth and so on, they were all a lead up because of the Super Bowl that came here. Now, another thing that I'll tell you, another gem, here's another gem that you can add to that. The actual grass surface that they played that Super Bowl on was donated to the city of Pontiac and Wisner Stadium. It is actually in Wisner Stadium as we speak. How cool is that? Uh, who are the kids that play on that field now? The uh, Pontiac High School football team. You know, it used to be Pontiac Central, of which I coached, you and I talked about. Uh, Pontiac Northern was the other high school at the time, and now it's basically there. And the city of Detroit and Ford Field maintains the field. How special is it for those kids to know that they have gotten to play on a Super Bowl field? Think about that. Think about that for one moment. Everybody comes here. That's one of the selling points that I think the coaches and the school tells them. Your team actually gets the chance to play on the actual field that the uh, Steelers and I forget who the other the team, Seahawks. the Seahawks, played their actual Super Bowl on at, that, at, at the Super Bowl. It's great. 
Steve was a season ticket holder for many years for Lions games at the Silver Dome. When they moved to Ford Field, those days as a season ticket holder were over. Steve will tell us why up next. If it's pizza night, Sheldon Street Pizza has got you covered. Sheldon's pizzas are always made fresh when you order them, and the readers of the Lake Orion Review have voted Sheldon's Breadsticks as the best in Lake Orion. Stop by Sheldon Street Pizza at 3767 South Baldwin Road in Orion Township, or you can order online by visiting SheldonStreetPizza.com. Don't forget to try one of Sheldon's salads with his special blend of homemade salad dressings. He's also got some pretty tasty desserts as well. Sheldon Street Pizza, more than just pizza, it's the official pizza of a Duff set. Okay, I want to take a second now to talk to the parents and adults listening to this podcast. If you are looking for a fun night out during the weekend here in Lake Orion, then stop by Fourth Coast Cider Works. Fourth Coast Cider Works is the place to be for hard cider in Oakland County. Located in the main entrance to Canterbury Village, Fourth Coast is quality craftsmanship, quality hard cider. Stop by Fourth Coast and try some of their many flavors on tap. You can also take some home in a can or a howler. Fourth Coast is open Thursday through Sunday. For a complete list of ciders and hours, go to fourthcoastciderworks.com. Fourth Coast Cider Works. The best hard cider is on the Fourth Coast. Not available for anyone under the age of 21. Please drink responsibly. Now here's a fun fact about Super Bowl 16. Not only was it Joe Montana's first time playing in the Super Bowl, it was the first of three times that Montana would defeat the league MVP in the big game. Now you heard Steve and I talk about the Bengals' Kenny Anderson. Anderson was actually the NFL MVP that season, and the Niners beat Cincinnati in the Silver Dome 26-21. Now against other NFL MVPs in the Super Bowl, Montana and San Francisco crushed Dan Marino and the Dolphins in Super Bowl 19. Montana would then defeat Boomer Esiason in a rematch with the Bengals in Super Bowl 23. In Montana's four Super Bowl appearances, the only time he didn't oppose the league MVP was when he won it himself in 1989. The Niners won Super Bowl 24 by destroying Denver 55-10. Montana won the Super Bowl MVP award three times in his four appearances in the big game, so you could say he pretty much knows his way around Disneyland. You're listening to the best local sports podcast in Michigan. And that's a Duff set. Now, as for you yourself, you were a season ticket holder when the Lions played at the Silverdome. When they moved to Ford Field, you decided not to get season tickets out there. Was it just a matter of the distance or was it the atmosphere? What led you to decide not to continue to be a season ticket holder once the Lions moved out of Pontiac? Well, I'm a diehard Lions fan. And at the time when they moved to the city of Detroit, I was probably distraught, just like a lot of other fans. I enjoyed 
going to the Silver Dome. I can tell you personally, I've traveled with the Lions in other venues all over this country. And uh, the fact of it is, is that the Silver Dome actually had one of the best transit services set up for people to come down and enjoy the game. Once again, the Silver Dome alone did not have enough parking to sustain 80,000 people. So they had to set up a service where they had buses that would actually pick you up at parking lots all over the city, free of charge, take you to the Silver Dome, drop you off right at the door, and pick you up on your way out. So it was one of the best that I've seen, and I've been to several NFL stadiums around this country. Steve, the last Lions game I attended was back in September of this past season. My wife and I had to walk a mile to get to Ford Field. There was no transit service there. Exactly my point. That's exactly what I'm talking about. I, too, I just went this season to the Patriots against the Lions. Had to walk a mile and a half to get to the stadium. In Boston. In Boston. So, again, I tell you, it just, again, it, it stood out. I mean, you could walk out the door of the Silver Dome, Silver Dome from here to that PNC sign, you were inside the Silver Dome. And, I mean, it would take you back to your vehicle, free of charge. You have a lot of memories built up throughout the years at the Silver Dome. What are some of your fondest memories from that stadium? Oh, gosh, I remember before the great uh, Jimmy Johnson teams and the Troy Aikman teams of the uh, era, uh, the Detroit Lions hosted a 1991 playoff game, which I was there, and they trounced uh, Jimmy Johnson and the uh, Troy Aikman-led Dallas Cowboys. It was, I think, one of the last trips, as you said, one of the last playoff games that they hosted. Yep, it's the last playoff game they've won. Exactly, and they won. And you're exactly right. But, I mean, come on, Barry Sanders. I mean, just to name a few. Herman Moore, geez, uh, Lomas Brown. I, I, I can remember a lot of those men. Billy Sims, for that matter. Uh, you know, again, these guys were just, it made it fun. And you get to the point where I was a season ticket holder there. They moved to Pontiac in 1975. So I was a season ticket holder from 1975 until the day they left. And so I seen a lot of games played. Monday night was a big thing uh, at the Silver Dome. You know, that was, again, got a chance to put Pontiac on the world stage. And, you know, the city always did shine. So, they, you know, they hosted and did well. It was unfortunate that the Ford family and the fathers of the city of Pontiac at that time could not get together on things. I think one of the things was concessions. And I think it was just a big blow up and end up the Ford family did what they did best. You know, they, they had the money, they had the power. They decided to take their uh, show down to the city of Detroit and they, hold, they still hold, I think, most of the concessions for the, uh, down there. So, again, it was a big thing. It was a money-making venture for them. So that's what it came down to. The day of that playoff game at the Silver Dome, the last Lions playoff win back in 91, you had Barry Sanders and Emmett Smith on the field that day. Now, you went from cheering for Jim Brown as your childhood hero to obviously becoming a huge fan of Barry Sanders when he played for the Lions. But it was Emmett Smith who ended up breaking the record held by Jim Brown as the NFL's 
all-time leading rusher. How did that make you feel to see Emmett and not Barry break that record? Well, you know, as a as a diehard Lions fan, which I still am to this day, it was kind of disheartening because I think had Barry decided to play longer, there would be no one close to him. He would have broke the record himself. I probably would have accepted that more than Emmett Smith, being that he was a Dallas Cowboy, you know. And uh, as you just said, Jim Brown, I have this argument to this day. Jim Brown set that record when they were playing nine or 11 football games. Barry had the advantage of six, seven more games, you know, uh, a season that is. And uh, as to did, did Emmett Smith. So now we move on to this past weekend. The Super Bowl was held in Arizona, and we had a phenomenal game between the Chiefs and the Eagles. Came down to the final drive for the Chiefs, Everything is going so well. We're getting this exciting game, and then it gets decided on a penalty, on a holding call. What did you make of that call, and was it the right call? Uh, first of all, I, it was the right call. I mean, you know, that rule was set up in the 1980s, and it took away uh, what they used to call the bump and run. It, it, what it did was they wanted to create a barrier between player and field that was like a five-yard distance and it goes both sides the offensive player cannot block a defensive player in that five-yard radius neither can a defensive player hold impede another player from getting out of that five-yard radius inside that five yard it's all on you can block grab tug do whatever after five yards you have to release it was a good call now as far as the magnitude of the game that's a coaching mistake. I, I, I just got to tell you, at some point, you got to be able to get your guys together and give them the moment, coach for the moment, and let them know where we are, what's the yard and distance, what we can afford, what we can't afford. And, and I just think, again, you, you have to do that. Now, flip the coin on the other side of that. Right after that play where the holding penalty was, you saw Jake McKinnon, which – I read an article today. He goes around left end, had a moment to score. They were going to give it to him. You could see the Eagles players getting out of his way. Now, the story went like this. Can you imagine the stories he would be telling his children, his grandchildren, had he scored that touchdown? He gave himself up for the team. Everybody gets a ring. That's the story that he'll get to tell. Yep, he slid on the turf right at the one as if he was sliding into second to steal a base. It was He went down, and that ultimately won the game for the Chiefs. And this matchup that we had this past Sunday was the first time that we got two African-American quarterbacks opposing each other. As a person of color, Steve, what did that mean to you? Well, again, it was a moment again because generally – uh, in all walks, you can ask any coach, I don't care who you interview, they will tell you on any football team, your quarterback is considered the best athlete on the team, bar none. So when you put the two guys on the field that played this past Sunday, you saw athletes. I'll just put it that way, pure athletes. The black thing doesn't really bother me in terms of the magnitude of what it was because what I saw was two athletes that fought to the bare end. And, I mean, it was an exciting game. 
Want to hear more lessons from Coach Watkins? Then head to my website, aduffsaid.com. Lessons from Coach Watkins is a production of my podcast, A Duff Said. If you would like to subscribe, then head over to Podbean, Apple Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Our announcer for this episode was Mid-Michigan Now Sports Director Sam Ali. All other announcements are done by Steve Gale, the best high school sports public address announcer in Michigan. Until next time, I'm Duff Tyler, and I'm reminding you that if Duff said it, it must be true, because that's what a Duff said. Thanks for listening, folks. You don't have to go home, but you can't stay here.